Lonely Sun, the songs for you. All esoteric teachings agree there's more to you than meets the eye. I weighed myself this morning, and there's certainly more than me that meets the eye. I was surprised. I was like, wait, I weighed 154 the other day. Now I'm like, 158, what happened? <laughs> I've been eating less. All esoteric teachings basically begin here, that there's more to you than meets the eye. Morris Nichols said, if you identify with your body and get every feeling of I from it, you can't remember yourself. Well, some people might think, well, who cares? What do I need to remember myself for? I can remember all these ideas, and I'm telling other people about them, and I'm reading all these books, and, and I do this, and I do that, and I tithe on everything I get, and I'm not like those miserable piggy people over there. Some people look at it that way. But if you can't remember yourself, you have a big problem in this work, in all esoteric teachings, because if you can't remember yourself, you won't remember to observe yourself. And if you can't observe yourself, well, then you can't know yourself. And therefore, you can't develop or complete yourself. This is all based on the idea that man is a self-developing organism, that he gets a start on this path. It's a push start. But that it's up to him to learn how to continue. It's up to him to learn how to walk. It's up to him to learn how to finish himself, complete himself. Though we know it not, because we take it for granted, we're given an incredible gift at birth. Now, some people will say, oh, yes, that's right, we're given life. Yeah, everybody's given life. But not everybody's given the same life. At birth, we receive an organized physical body. And like I said, we take it for granted. Here it is. The baby's born. It starts to breathe, clear away the fluids from its mouth and its nostrils and air passage and starts to breathe. They cut the umbilical cord and the baby then is a self-contained unit. It's no longer hooked up to mother. It now has to regulate its own body temperature. It has to digest its own food. It has to do, it has to breathe. It has to do all these things. And this is an incredible gift because if you think about it, science daily discovers more marvels of the physical body. Have you ever watched some of these programs on educational television about the body and they'll tell you, well, did you know that your body has, and they'll tell you how many miles of veins and arteries, they're all stretched out, how many miles of veins and arteries, or how many nerves are in just one part of the body, or how many feet of intestine you have, or something like that, or how much blood, how many liters of blood the heart pumps in an hour or a day or a lifetime or whatever. And it's just mind-boggling. I've always been fascinated with these things. Like if you took 57 Cadillacs and you lined them up bumper to bumper, how many of them it would take to get to the moon from here? Of course, I just made that up. I've never seen a program like that, but it'd be a good one. Of course, there wouldn't be enough 57 Cadillacs, but it's a great idea with computer graphics. It'd be cool. Or how many ping-pong balls you know it would take to fill up the Yankee Stadium or the Astrodome or whatever. Things like that, you know, just fascinating things that, that give you a perspective, that, that give you an idea of scale. Because that's really what it is, an idea of scale. And we are woefully blind when it comes to scale. We don't seem to be able to get our minds around scale. And it's because we think so much of ourselves, because we are so self-absorbed. Because we're so full of self-emotions, scale is very difficult. It eludes us. We can't 
comprehend what another person might be going through if this or that happens to them. It doesn't occur to us because we're so wrapped up in our own self-emotions, our own internal considering, that we don't take time to externally consider, to put ourselves in someone else's shoes and to see what it would be like to be them looking at us. The body. It's a harmonious collection of different systems all working together. There's the vascular, the digestive, the nervous, the muscular, all these systems, and they're all made in nine months of our time, in darkness. That is amazing. That's just amazing. And we take it all for granted. And out pops this little body after nine months, and it has all of this stuff working in it. And usually working just fine. Even on a premature child, little babies, little tiny babies you could hold in the palm of your hand come out, and they're working fine. Everything's there, and it's all working just fine. It's astounding. So really, it doesn't even take nine months, but for full gestation, nine months. Order is heaven's first law. You've heard me say this for years and years and years, and I'm hoping you're not tired of hearing it, because I never get tired of saying it. Order makes life possible. Nothing can live if it is in disorder. When you look at that little body that comes out of there after nine months, and it's working, it's working in order. The heart is beating at a regular order. The blood flows in order. The left ventricle and the right ventricle and all these different valves all work in order at the right time. And it's amazing. They're perfectly timed. Breathing is an orderly process when you think about it. It's an orderly process. The wonder of the body is how it runs itself. You breathe naturally without ever learning how, without ever making effort. It's like, you don't go to school to learn how to breathe. You don't watch other people. You, know, you don't come out of the womb and then look around for other people to find out what they're doing. And Okay, how do I do this? How do I breathe? It's not something that you do. You don't learn this. It just is given to you. It's a gift. Just given to you. Already perfectly organized. Same thing with circulation, digestion, renewal of the cells. All of these things. They're all a gift. They're all in perfect order. All of this points to the simple idea that life depends on order and it must have a higher order to control it. If we just look at the body, just the body alone, we see that there are higher functions and lower functions. There are higher intelligences in the body that are giving orders to lower intelligences in the body and ordering them so that they all do their right job. Man asleep imagines himself to be the highest order the highest intelligence, overlooking his near-complete ignorance of the incredible workings of the body. We are still discovering these things. We're still finding out new things about the body, about the brain. The brain is an incredible frontier that we hardly even recognize what it does, all the many things that it does. Why? How? How could something packed in such a small area, so compact, do so much? and do it so well. If everything were not ordered from the highest to the lowest, we could not physically exist on this planet. If your body was not ordered from the highest to the lowest, there is no way that you could physically exist on this planet. The atmosphere would kill you. But because your body temperature is regulated, automatically it doesn't kill you. Because your body has an order and lets you know 
when you need to hydrate, you don't dehydrate and die of thirst. Because your body has an order and it can tell you when you need fuel, you don't die of starvation. You start to look for water, you start to look for food. You start to automatically do the things that you need to do to survive. You couldn't exist on this planet otherwise. Illness in the body is a matter of disorder. If the heart starts doing the brain's job, we die. If the brain starts doing the heart's job, we die. The brain is at a higher level than the heart. If they switch places, we die. So there is an order. There's a higher and there's a lower. And the lower has to obey the higher. When the lower stops obeying the higher, we have what we call dis-ease. When the lower isn't functioning properly, according to what the higher tells it to do, it's out of order. And when it's out of order, we need to get it in order somehow. We need to find out why it's out of order and get it in order. There's an established order from higher to lower that is fundamental to all living things. The body's different functions are arranged in scale. Scale is just another word for order. Scale is just another word for a ladder. You scale a wall with a ladder. It's rungs, steps. It's very simple. This is the law of seven, or the law of octaves, exemplified by the ray of creation, where things are in order, one below another, in a continual descending scale of creation. It starts at the top, and then it descends, creating all the way down through this ladder, this scale, this law of seven, this law of octaves. The ray of creation shows everything descending by notes from the unknown origin of all things. I like this because so many people like to say God, but it's not from God. God is not at the top of all this. What is at the top of all this? Well, I've just told you. The unknown origin of all things. But we don't like that. It's the Tao. It's what can't be spoken, what can't be known. We don't like that. Because we like to put ourselves at the top of everything. Because of self-love, we like to have ourselves at the top of everything. Well, I can understand this. Just tell me. I'll understand. But this is something you won't understand because you don't have the capacity to understand it because it is the unknown origin of all things. What makes it the unknown origin of all things is that it cannot be known. It's that big. It's that infinite. It's that unknowable, unspeakable. But people won't stop wasting their time trying to figure that out. And that may be okay. But don't buy the idea that God is at the top of this. Because whatever you mean when you say God, that is not the unknown origin of all things. The body is a reflection of the ray of creation. It's the microcosm in the macrocosm, and the macrocosm in the microcosm. If the order is wrong in the body, the law of seven, the law of octaves, can't work in it. And so we have disease. Do we have disease? Yeah, we have disease. And... There's another kind of disease, too, and it's not just in the physical body. We know that we have mental diseases, emotional diseases, that things get out of order, and the law doesn't work properly, can't work properly through a disordered organism. The organism has to be brought into order before the law can function properly, harmoniously, smoothly through it. The law of seven or octaves is based on the principle that the lower must obey the higher. Here's where the first snag comes in. Religion talks about the fall of man. And all it is is the lower deciding for itself that it no longer wishes to obey the higher. 
pure and simple. So the principle that the lower must obey the higher has been transgressed. When this order is not followed, chaos ensues. The body is not the highest in man. So when esoteric teachings, all of them agree, there's more to you than meets the eye, what they're saying is the body is not the highest in man. As wonderful as it is, as much of a miracle as it is, as incredible as it is, as unknown as it is to us, and it is unknown to us, we still don't understand all the functions of the physical body. We still do not understand how the brain is related to the consciousness or the soul. We don't get that, or the spirit. We don't get that. Science still has not made that connection. We're different from other animals. That's one thing that's observable. We see the cat walk around, and he's a cat. He's doing cat things. And if he were to get up on the table and start to cut food with a knife and a fork, you'd be astonished. You'd be flabbergasted, because that's not what cats do. On the other hand, if you saw a human being acting like a cat, you probably wouldn't be flabbergasted or astonished, because you know that human beings can do that. You might wonder why they're doing it, but they can do it. We're born unfinished. The cat isn't. He's born finished. He's a cat, full-blown. When he's a kitten, he's a cat. When he's a young cat, he's a cat. When he's an old cat, he's a cat. He'll be a cat for his entire life. The entire span of his life, however long that is, he'll be a cat. You, on the other hand, have a possibility. There's something left for us to complete. There's another direction in which we can grow. It's not just humanness or animalness. As the other animals were given a body, we're given a body. But we're also given something that can develop apart from the physical body. Other animals haven't got this possibility. That cat lived a hundred years, he'd still never learn how to read. Because it's just not possible for him. We have another body that we can develop. For lack of a better word, we have a disorganized psychological body that we can order and it's a lot like a deck of cards. You took a deck of cards and you played that famous game that we used to play when we were kids. We'd take a deck of cards and you'd and say, let's play 52 pickup. And somebody who didn't know would say, oh, okay, well, how do you play that? And then you take the cards and you pinch them together and you just let them fly all over the room. So 52 cards land all over the floor. You say, okay, well, now pick them up. And you can make a game out of that. You can pick them up in order. You can put all of the hearts together. You can put all of the spades together, all of the clubs together, all of the diamonds together. Or you can just put all the red cards in one side and all the black cards in another side. So there would be that order. Or you could put them all face up or all face down. So there could be that order. So there are different degrees of order. And if you wanted to make a game of it, if you wanted to put that deck of cards back the way it came in the box, when you broke the seal on it, it opened it up, you would have all the suits together. And you would run them from ace, king, queen, jack, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2. So that would be the hearts, and then the diamonds, and then the clubs, and then the spades, or however they do it. So you would have the task of ordering that chaos of 52-card pickup. Well, this is no joke. Pretty much, that's what happened to us. We started to play this game with all these other people here in life, and it's a game of 52-card pickup. Because everybody's out of order. Everybody's mind is going crazy. Everybody's got all these old associations and these pictures of themselves, picture cards. And they've got these different suits. 
And they've got these different ideas about how this is supposed to be and how that's supposed to be. And they're all telling everybody else, no, this is the way it is. And someone is saying, no, this is the way it is. And there's a reason for that. It's because we're out of order. It's because this body, this disorganized psychological body, is disorganized because it is out of order. Because it is not obeying something higher. It's obeying something that's lateral to it. Who do you obey? Well, you obey you. But you don't exist. So who are you really obeying? You are obeying all of the people that you listened to in life. Whether they knew anything or not didn't matter. Whether they were in order or not didn't have anything to do with your obedience. You did what you did to survive. They said, you have to do this. And because you were this little nine-month-old baby with this fully functioning ordered eye body, you did it to survive. And it became ritual and habit. And it became your way. And that psychological body started to crystallize in disorder, in obeying things out there instead of something higher, in obeying things lateral to itself instead of higher to itself. But there is something higher because that's what the law of seven, the law of octaves, shows us. And it's clear that there's something higher. And it's clear in our own bodies that there's something higher. Yet in our lives, in our psychological bodies, we have a difficult time with this, with anything being higher. So the great gift of the physical body is given to us properly ordered, but the psychological body must be organized, it must be ordered, and that's your job. No one's going to do that for you. You can't go to some finishing school and have someone order your psychological body for you. You can't go to ballet lessons and have someone order your psychological body for you. You can't go to a college and have someone order your psychological body for you. The best they can do is order some knowledge for you, and then you have to participate in that. Esoteric teachings instruct us in the order of organization of this psychological or spiritual body. I prefer spiritual body because I'm not afraid of the word spiritual. It doesn't bother me. I don't know why it doesn't bother me. Probably my upbringing, but it doesn't bother me. Whereas I notice that other people, some other people, don't like that word. They would much rather deal with a psychological body than a spiritual body. Okay, then do that. When this psychological body is properly developed, properly ordered, it can control the physical body. Improperly ordered, it makes the physical body sick in dozens and dozens of ways. Think of all of the diseases that you can get from stress. Think of how the body breaks down because of stress. Almost everything. I mean, unless you have a broken bone, and now they're even saying that if you've got a broken bone, that probably came from stress too that you probably had that accident because of your psychological disorder, that that was probably the effect of it. Though they haven't been able to actually prove that for sure in everyone yet, in every case. But they've shown it in enough cases that it deserves serious attention. This psychological body may even exist apart from the physical body, according to esoteric teachings. What that means is that it can survive the dissolution of the physical body. Well, this is good news for modern man. It's like, whoa, you mean that if I have a properly organized psychological body, it could continue even after the physical body is dead and gone? Yes, that's what esoteric teachings say. It may take years to properly understand what esoteric teachings are about. In fact, it does take years. Receiving answers to our questions, we don't understand the answers. We can ask the questions. Look at all the books you can read. You can read books that you won't understand for years. And you can read a book for years and get more understanding from it 
every single time you read it. It's open-ended. It may take years to properly understand what we're studying. What else have you got to do? But getting answers to questions is a very dangerous stage. You can't comprehend what these teachings are about until you realize for yourself, in yourself, that your psychological body is chaotic, that it's lacking the order of the physical body. Your psychological body is in disarray and chaos compared to your physical body. No matter how much of a genius you consider yourself to be, no matter how enlightened you consider yourself to be, compared to your physical body, your psychological body is a mess. As we are, when we come to these ideas, we're like a block wall of sleep, self-satisfaction, self-justification, imagination about ourselves, all held together by lovely pictures that we've made of ourselves. They're the mortar for the blocks. They're the glue that holds it all together, these pictures of ourselves. Our ability somehow to create these pictures of ourselves as something that we're not, to gloss over what we actually are like. All this makes it impossible for us to realize the horrid state of our psychological disorder in which we're living all the time, which we've been living our whole lives, this psychological state of chaos. And we don't know it because it's all been glossed over. Self-observation is introduced by esoteric teachings to begin to knock down this block wall. There's a commercial on television where they take this big bunny instead of a wrecking ball on a crane, and they're smacking this huge bunny up against a... It's a stuffed animal, for those of you who are feeling sorry for the bunnies. It's a stuffed animal, big pink stuffed bunny, huge, probably 20 feet tall, and they're smashing it against this building. And people are standing watching, oh, this wall's never going to come down, you know, too soft. I haven't really listened to the sound in the commercial or watched the whole thing through, but I saw it, and, and the whole idea of knocking a block wall down with a bunny was funny to me. You don't expect that. I like things like that, because it makes me think in a new way. It gives me an opportunity to find new meaning, and I like that. So self-observation is introduced to begin to knock down this block wall of sleep, self-satisfaction, self-justification, imagination, and all these pictures that we've got of ourselves, this wall that keeps us from seeing the truth about our psychological body, our other eye body. We're told how and what to observe so that we can come to see our state of inner chaos. But you know what? We don't like that. We want to observe ourselves with the bunny. We don't want to observe ourselves with the wrecking ball. We want to observe ourselves with the bunny. When we're hit by an observation, we want it to be soft and fluffy. We want it to be cute and cuddly. We want it to leave everything intact. We don't want to have to face what's on the other side of that wall. That's not self-observation. But that's what we want. And the best thing to do is admit it. You know, the very best thing to do is say, yes, that's, that's what I want. I want my cake and I want to eat it too. I want to have it, but I want to eat it. I want an eternal cake that no matter how many times you eat it, it keeps reappearing and it's still tasty and it's always fresh and it's always the flavor and the kind you want. So if it was chocolate cake this morning, but you want lemon cake this afternoon, then you want it to be lemon cake this afternoon. You want it to be whatever it is that you want. This is our condition. And... Unfortunately, the only way you can see this is through some self-observation. And unfortunately, we don't want self-observation. We want a fluffy bunny that hits the wall. We don't want the wall hit by anything hard that's going to knock a hole in it or knock it down or jar us in any way. That would be a conscious shock. That would be too much to bear. We don't want that. Can I have the other one, the other wrecking ball? Which one? The bunny over there. I want that one. 
as we all do, until we realize that we're dying of suffocation on the other side of that wall. Then we want the power drill. We want the power ball to come smashing through so that it can make a hole in there and let some light and air in there so that we can begin to free ourselves from the prison that we find ourselves in. As long as we assume that we're one, that we have one will, that we don't swing from love to hate on an inner pendulum, <laughs> we're asleep to ourselves. Now, you know what? Even if you don't think you're one, and even if you don't think that you have one will, you do think that you don't swing from love to hate on an inner pendulum. I got you there. There's no way out of this one. You do that. And you could observe that about yourself. And you have observed it about yourself. But it's not something you like to think about. Because it goes against those pictures. Those pictures. What pictures? Those pictures that are the mortar that hold those blocks together. That block of sleep, self-justification, imagination. That block wall. Though you be a most famous person in external life, you remain a sleeping machine in the light of esoteric teachings and your own possible development. In this life, it doesn't matter what title you hold. If you're the Dalai Lama and you're asleep, you're a sleeping Dalai Lama. I mean, the Chinese, they're going to choose the next Dalai Lama. I mean, hello? This is the world's answer to everything spiritual. We'll do it our way. <laughs> Only when we begin to see our inner chaos in the light of esoteric teachings through proper self-observation do we begin to realize we're full of illusions about ourselves. Full of illusions about ourselves. It's astounding how many illusions we have about ourselves. This is the beginning of awakening from this block wall of sleep, self-justification, self-satisfaction, imagination, all held together by these lovely pictures of ourselves. We begin to see for what we were truly created. We begin to see the difference between our carefully crafted external behaviors and what we feel internally. Think about it. Look at the face you wear. You could be in a rage hating someone, but it won't be on your face. You'll be smiling. Yeah, we used to make fun of you doing that. Is this. Will you do that with your lips? Will you put this serene face on? Will you take a deep breath and you stuff down all the rage and the anger and what you want to say? You stuff it all down. You swallow it all. You put it down in your psychological body where it can cause you the greatest psychological indigestion and cause you the greatest psychological sickness. But on the outside, you have this cleverly crafted image, the serene face, the smile. Well, let's just call it something else. Let's just call it a poker face. What is a poker face? It's a face that hides the truth. And we think, well, that's great. You know, this guy's got a great poker face. Wish I had a great poker face. Wish I was a great liar. Gee, I wish I could hide all of my internal feelings so that no one out there could see how I'm really feeling, what I'm really thinking. Wouldn't that be great? And here we are. This is why I wonder about your sanity. And here you are in a room with a man whose whole life is about stripping that away. Not only from himself, but from everybody else. Stripping all that away so that you are wearing, you end up wearing your heart on your sleeve, as it were. You end up being an open book. You end up being truly an Israelite in whom there is no guile. You end up being guileless. You end up being, you ready for the, for the four-letter word here? You end up, here comes the four-letter word, the dirty word. You end up being real. Because that's the only time that life 
is ever going to be real, is when you are. That's what esoteric teachings are about. And I promise you that when you start to become that dirty four-letter word, you will be punished. You will be punished for it by the world. Society will punish you. Your friends will punish you. Your family will punish you. People around you will punish you because that dirty four-letter word convicts them of their poker face, of their pretense, of their lies, of their guile. And you're not playing the game the way it's supposed to be played. And if you keep it up, you're going to get thrown off the field. We begin to see the difference between our carefully crafted external behaviors and what we're really feeling inside. This is what self-observation does. This is why it's a wrecking ball and not a fluffy bunny. When we fully, as we can at our level, begin to wish to die to what we have been, you start to see this and you become suicidal, psychologically suicidal. You long to be someone else. You long to have this pretentious, lying, poker-faced thing that life has crafted. You long to have that brushed away, pushed out of the way. Make it stop. How many times have you caught yourself in something and just said, Oh my God, make it stop. How can I make it stop? How can I make my mind stop? How can I make these negative feelings stop? How do I do it? What do I do? Somebody's been saying to me the last week, What can I do? What can I do? How can I stop this? <laughs> like, well, this is what I've been teaching. You've got 294 fat podcasts, 293 or 94 light podcasts. You've got the morning talks and the evening talks, the new man. You've got the house on the rock. You've got all of this. It's all here and it's all telling you what you can do. It's not telling you that somebody's going to do it for you. It's telling you, you have to do this. You've got to take yourself by the scruff of the neck. You've got to give yourself a good shake. And you've got to do this. And don't let go. Because what you've got there, by the scruff of the neck, is a viper full of venom. And if it gets away, it's going to bite you. And it'll poison you. So hold on to it. Don't let go of it. Don't let it get away again. Because once it gets away and it bites, you go to sleep again. And you don't know when you might wake up. You don't know when some prince is going to come along and kiss you and wake you up. Yeah, there's esoteric meaning in everything. Everything. Because all of life wants you to know the truth about yourself. Yep, we start to realize what we have become and we wish to die to that. Because we realize that it's only then that we can be reborn in little ways, bit by bit, gradually, very slowly. You're not going to be born again, boom. You're not going to be reborn, boom, like that. No. It's not going to happen that way. It's going to happen the way it's been happening. Painfully slowly. Far too slowly. And you're, like a frog, able to see further than you can hop. You can see further than you can jump. And you'll be criticized for that too. You'll be criticized because you can see more than you can do. But that's not a crime. That's called vision. And those who criticize you don't have it. So don't bother with them. Just continue and do what you know you have to do. Follow. Obey. Obey something higher. And there is something higher in your life. Or else you couldn't be here. You couldn't be listening to this if there wasn't something higher calling to you. We begin to cease to identify ourselves with the physical body. It's no longer the I body. It's the body. It's not my body, I body. It's the body. You'll notice that you'll start to talk like that. And it won't be forced. You'll just notice that it's the body. That your identification has started to come out of it. A completely new sense of I begins to dawn on you as you begin to move closer to real eye. I don't even like to mention real eye. 
And the reason I don't like to mention real life is because people imagine that they know what that is. Just like they imagine that they know what God is. And that's why we call what's at the top of the ray of creation the unknown origin of all things. To do an end run around that silly intelligence, that silly knowledge that we think we have, that blocks us, that stops us, that makes us a full cup so that we can't receive anything else, so that we can't receive any new meaning, so that we can't continue to grow, to complete ourselves. So I don't like to mention real eye. What I like to say is, presently, all we can do is try to awaken. Don't worry about real eye. Don't worry about God. Don't worry about the unknown origin of all things at the top of the ray of creation. Obey what is above you. Right now, what is above you is this work. Right now, what is above you is this work. It came down to us from higher in the scale, in the ray, and we are to obey it. As you obey it, it will lift you up and you will get to obey something higher. And as you obey that, it will lift you up, and you will get to obey something higher. This is our path. This is what we have to do. Get busy. You light up and